We begin a sermon series today called Baggage. And uh, for really since uh, kind of the beginning of COVID, one of the things that I began to read about was, um, while certainly not a new thing, but issues of mental, ho- mental, behavioral, emotional health were really coming into focus. And again, that was that was true pre-COVID. It was true, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, but just, you know, the reality of those things coming front and center, uh, we wanted to try to enter into and enter into from uh, a practical standpoint where we could be as helpful as possible, but also at the same time, uh, theologically rooted and spiritually rooted inside of what does it look like for somebody who, who believes in a God who created all that we see and know and experience, a God who superintends and has power over every you know, sphere and, and realm of earth, you know, for that God to live inside of my heart, what does that look like then to be a Christian and to walk forward? Uh, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean, and we know that it doesn't mean that there is no trouble. In fact, uh, scripture speaks about that, you know, take, you know, cover, you know, take comfort in the fact that I have overcome the world, but you will have troubles inside of this life. So if we will have trouble, but the God of the universe lives inside of your heart and my heart and walks with us, and he is the author of human history, what does it look like to trust him with today and that there could be victory today even in the midst of struggle? So that's where we're going to go for the next seven weeks. We are calling it uh, baggage, what it would look like to live free, travel light, and find hope. And so uh, that's where we're going to be able to you know, begin to wrestle with and January is the perfect time to do that because this is the not so wonderful time of the year. This is, it's still cold, but there's no, or there's less lights up. You know, we're not gearing up for Christmas, but instead we're trying to get our lives back situated and, you know, put things away and everything, find its spot and develop new routines and rhythms. But it's also in January that we come face to face with the realities that have always been there and always been true, but now we have to face them and have to have to square up to them. So that's why we're offering Financial Peace University. That's why we're offering Support Group 101. That's why we're offering, again, Wednesday nights is because uh, we are in that process. And I think it's a God-given opportunity at the start of the new year to, to ask God to continue to rewrite programs inside of my thinking and my acting and my reacting and, and the things that I do and the way I use my time and the structure of my relationships, you know, that God would oversee and reign over all of that inside of my life. I came across the quote a few years ago uh, at a leadership conference or something that I read, uh, and, it, and it was just uh, ascribed then as an old proverb. And it said, it's not the load that breaks you down, it's simply, it, or it's the way that you carry it. It's not the load that breaks you down, it's the way that you carry it. Now, we know this to be the case because you know two, two different people, perhaps, you know, that similar age, both lost a parent. One, it, it sends them, you know, spiraling in, into, you know, depression and loneliness and trying to figure out how to do life without mom. And they struggle and they struggle and the struggle continues. Another person who equally loved their mom, you know, is able to work through it and they work through the grief, but they're able to come out the other side quicker, not, again, having, you know, washed their hands of the relationship or, or the grief. But uh, why is it sometimes that it seems like some people have... Uh, a difficult time, and some people have a less difficult time dealing with similar things. Let me just say, in most situations, it's not because one person was tied into a relationship with God and the other person wasn't. That's not the case. 
It's not because one person loved their mom and the other person didn't. That's not the case. It's not because one person must be more mature and have better skills than the other. That's not necessarily the case. But sometimes we need to think about, you know, if we do, there will be a load that we bear or several different loads that we bear in life. Pain, disappointment, you know, seasons where things are uh, are changing or not changing or just a variety of different circumstances. It's not the load that will break you. It's the way that you carry it. And so we want to learn how to carry it better, more faithfully. In obedience and submission and in relationship with the God who loves us and cares for us. The promise is not not to get rid of all of the load, but to just... I think part of the discipleship process is how do I carry what you've entrusted me to carry? Not what I've chosen to carry, not what I deserve to carry, not what I'm even sure why I'm carrying, but the load that you've given me to carry, how do I carry it? Now, maybe this is a funny thing or just an anecdotal thing. I put unknown because I had this quote and it was just, you know, it said old proverb, you know, next to it when I wrote it down inside of my notes. And so I looked it up this week because I thought I should tell you all who actually said it. I can't tell you who actually said it. Uh, one thing said it was C.S. Lewis. And then I looked up another website that the title of the website was Things Lewis Did Not Say. This quote was at the top of the list and said, C.S. Lewis did not write this or say this. I think when in doubt, if you're a Christian and you read something that's cool and profound, you just put C.S. Lewis next to it and nobody questions it. But it wasn't C.S. Lewis. The next two names I came across, if, if you know anything about the past, you know, 40 years, these are two very different people. Lou Holtz, former coach of Notre Dame football, and Lena Horn, who was an entertainer, actor, right? Is Lena Horn still alive? I'm not sure. Lena Horn, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to like offend you, but so I don't know if it was Lou Holtz, Lena Horn, or an old proverb, but we're just going to say unknown. It's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way that you carry it. And so uh, inside of difficult times, inside of challenges, inside of just the things that are different about your life from your life to my life or the severity of, uh, we want to know if, if God is with us in the midst of it, how do we process through the pain we're going through? How do we navigate the struggles that we walk through as a normal part of life? How do, how do I deal with the parts of me, whether they're deep inside of, you know, my, you know, emotional and mental health or whether it's just the natural parts of my personality that, that there tends to be friction with the world around me? How do I navigate that? And how does God continue to grow my faith and my identity in him in the midst of all of it? Now, this is not a surprise to you, but uh, one in five Americans suffer with some type of mental health condition. One in five. One in eight emergency room visits are directly tied to mental health issues. Some have said that as many as 60% of visits to a primary care doctor have some element of stress-relatedness, you know, that kind of prompts that visit. So again, the, the visit may not be, doctor, I'm stressed, but the, doc, but the visit may be around something of which when you, if you were to peel back like an onion the cause, one of the things at the core of that would be, you know, stress. And, and stress can include everything from trauma to just the weight of the things that we carry that we carry a load that sometimes we cannot bear it and it breaks us down and it produces even things inside of our physical bodies as we navigate that. Now, 
there is a, a spectrum on this, right? There, there is, if there, if there was a continuum, every one of us, probably in any given month, if not even more frequent than that, is going to come across something that disturbs us. Something somebody says to us, something that happens to us, just the way that we wake up on, on a particular Monday morning or, you know, inside of something that happens, there are events, there are relational things, there are just struggles that, that come and hit us inside the moment. Some small, some big. For others of us, there are recurring patterns inside of our life. So there are things that you would say, I tend to struggle with, fill in the blank, and maybe that's a once a week or once a month or whatever interval it comes. There are things that, you know, tend to to pop up inside of our life. For others of us, there are things that are kind of ongoing, like chronic conditions, like, you know, not only does this pop up or pop up recurringly, but this is something that is constantly active inside of my everyday life. I've learned to manage it, you know, manage it. Some days I have good days, bad days, but there's this thing that is always present in my life. And then, then there are the situations that, you know what, right now I am dealing with something on such an acute level that the pain maybe that was momentary is now strong and powerful, and I don't even know what the next step is or what I can do next. And even that's being oversimplifying, but we have stuff that we deal with or stuff that pops up over and over or stuff that is constant or something just drastic and severe that hits us. And inside of all of that, it begs the question, what role does faith play and where is God in the midst of my pain, my struggle, the things in the course of life that I navigate. Now, we all have some things that aren't right. We all have some things that we wish were different. We all have some ongoing things, you know, that continue to pop up. And just as, as if, you know, just as there is a kind of a range of the severity of those things, there's also a range of responses. And so, again, if we were to start over here with, you know, just a thing that, you know, just happens, you know, kind of a one-off, you know, I never really deal with this, but on this particular day, this happened, and it unleashed something in me that I've never experienced before, all the way to, you know, where are you in a time of crisis, there's also a spectrum of care. And so there's the ongoing, almost like the, the spiritual and emotional multivitamins, you know, that we take, you know, that we are in, you know, the word and we find ourselves praying and, you know, we have a few people around us that we surround ourselves with that we can be open with and honest with that we're taking time to rest, you know, that we're taking time to, to process through some of those things that happen. Those are the ongoing things. The problem is not that we don't do those things. The problem is that if we never do those things and then something big happens, all of a sudden it's not helpful and it's actually offensive when somebody going through some traumatic thing, you say, well, have you prayed about it? Or have, you know, once last time? At that point, it's, you're dealing with almost a completely different level. But these things are important, and, and part of investing in our health mentally, spiritually, and emotionally is that you attend to the things that bring you closer to Christ and bring you into a more healthy understanding of who you are in the eyes of God in terms of your identity. But in addition to that, sometimes we need help. Sometimes you need to pick up a book that you haven't read before or you know, have a conversation with somebody or begin to process through something that's going on. Sometimes that needs to be with a mental health professional. Sometimes you need to see a doctor. There's, again, the, the things that we do, there's a range of severity. And so I do not want to minimize in the course of these seven weeks 
either extreme to say, you know, that everything is this acute major condition that you need, need to be, you know, in somebody's office tomorrow or in some medication, you know, this coming week. Although that may be the case. The other extreme is to just say, well, if you just pray about it, if you just go home and take a nap, everything's going to be okay. Just as there's a range of situations that we deal with, there's also a range of things that help bring us help in, inside of our lives. One thing we know, though, is this. The status quo will never change in and of itself. The status quo is the status quo for a reason. It does not like to be disrupted, disrespected, overthrown, or questioned. The status quo in everything is this is the way that things move, and we like when things just kind of move and function. I don't want to have to think about every day how my car works. I don't want to think about every day whether or not there's money in the account. I just want to go and live my life. We tend to to drift down into just, I want to live in status quo. But what if the status quo needs to be changed? And maybe a better question is, do we actually believe that there's enough inside the character and the heart and the nature of God to actually allow and to bring forth change inside of my status quo? All right, I want to show you a a list of books, and this is not to tell you how much I've read or whatever, the reality is I'm not a good reader, I'm a good researcher, and so I don't read for fun, but uh, over the past three months or so, I've read probably 12 or 13 different books around this, and the point of this is to say that there is a ton out there that's been written. From a Christian perspective, but even, you know, outside, outside of that, you know, there are some helpful resources. We are living, I think, in an age where it's become, it's okay to not be okay, and there are resources to help. Now, the thing that I would add to that, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not being okay, if that's okay to say. You understand where, where I'm going with that? So inside of this, there, the, and the reason I put this up is because there's a range of things. There's a book that was written in 1940. There's a book that was written in 1980. There's a book that was written, you know, primarily towards men. There's writ- a book that was written primarily for women. There was a book that was written in the leadership space. There are some that, that are, you know, a little bit more, you know, casual reading and some that are a little bit deeper. Uh, some out there that are a little bit more medically driven. And so the reality is, and I think we're going to get, you know, a copy of these books because occasionally the, the library people don't like it when I quote something from a book and don't give them a heads up so that they could actually have that book. And so uh, we're going to have, you know, a range of different books. If there's something, again, sometimes it begins with maybe you need to pick up something and read something that you've not read before to shift something inside of how we think. Because we know this, and this is where I want to go for the rest of our time today, is at a very basic level, how you think determines how you will live. How you think determines how you will live. And so we don't just need a resolution of, you know what, I really should do more of this or less of this. Sometimes when it comes to this area of our life, you need a revolution, you need a reset, you need something that's going to reprogram aspects of how you think or how you react or the things that you say or how you process the things that other other people say. There has to be something much deeper than simply just the surface behavior of what's taking place. Because you know, in terms of how you think, your thoughts determine your actions. Your actions become behaviors and habits that become ingrained parts of who we are. And so your thoughts matter. Jesus thought so as well. Matthew chapter 15, he's gathering with uh, some of the, the Pharisees and 
you know, and, and again, there's, there's friction there because they're so concerned with why does he not have them always following the law in terms of what you eat or what you don't eat or, you know, attending to things in a certain order. And again, that order was derived at over hundreds of years, as they said, given what we know inside of scripture, this is the way to live that best leads to godliness. The problem is when you begin to emphasize more the rules than what the rules are meant to do, you develop legalism or you develop things where you're doing all these external things, but you're not attending to most what's most on the inside. So Jesus confronts them in the midst of this, and he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, which in nothingness. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Lord, do you know what the Pharisees, that that they were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. And Jesus asked them, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And so Jesus, this is a specific situation where he's responding to the Pharisees and he's talking to the disciples, and the category seems much more around sin. Right. And, and so it's, you know, they say if we do this, it, it's wrong and it's sinful. But Jesus says, why do you give so much attention to that instead of what's actually coming out of your life? And all these other, you know, forms of evil are coming out, but you don't give any attention to that. But I think it goes much deeper than a sin issue, as Jesus is talking about. I think what he's talking about is the most important things about you are the things that are unseen, And you know this to be the case. The most important things, the most crucial things, the most impactful things about you are the things that are unseen. Now, we know that to be the case, but how much of our lives is spent trying to just either protect image or preserve image or just kind of do the right thing or so-and-so expects me to do this or to show up here and so I'm going to do it. And we know that the most important thing is the thing that's inside of me, but there is so much attention given to what's on the outside. And Jesus says it's not so much whether or not you eat this or don't eat this or you show up here, it's right. but what about if we really paid attention to our heart? And yes, you know, he brings it to at the end, you know, all these different forms of, you know, sin, like, you know, slander and sexual morality and idolatry and all these things. But I think what he's really saying is when you really look at what comes out of somebody, the product of their life, the sum total of all their actions, and you trace that back, you will find a thought or a series of thoughts that gives birth to a set of behaviors that forms into a series of habits, and that before you know it, they are not even thinking about what they are doing, but what they are doing is leading them in a way that is completely opposite of the way that they wish that they wanted to go. And so you have an intention to be this kind of person, 
but your habits and your actions and your thoughts lead you to be this kind of person and you don't even realize that you're going this way and not that way. This is not just something about, I want to be a good person, but instead I'm a murderer. This is something of, you know, I want to be a healthy person, but it's so easy to be unhealthy. It could be however large or however small, but the reality is there are all things, we all have things in us where we want to be going this way, but we find ourselves unintentionally going that way. And what if there's enough inside of who Jesus is to transform that? Probably not easily or automatically. It's not something usually where you come down to the altar and you invite Jesus into your heart or you give over this area and then all of a sudden the struggle is gone. There are testimonies of that, and that is certainly possible, but most of the time it's at least being willing to be honest, maybe about the lies or the incomplete truths that we find ourselves living towards that are producing an outcome opposite of the outcome that we want to produce. Proverbs chapter 23 says it this way, that as a man thinketh, so he is. I kept the King James because that's, I think, one of those verses that we we kind of have heard, you know, in the King James, so uh, it's fun to say thinketh once, once in a while. So as a man thinketh, so he is. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is not just a temptation sin issue. We take every thought captive means, you know, is it a good thought or bad thought? No, that what if God were able to reign over your thoughts? What would that produce inside of our lives? And a, you know, a famous passage that we know inside of Philippians chapter 4, that he says, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is not just, this is what your life should be like, and if it's not, you're in trouble, but this is the mission statement, this is the goal, this is what we are striving for, and it takes some intentional action on our part that if this is going to be true about you, this has to also be true about how you fashion your life and what goes in to it. And so how you think determines how you live. I read something, you know, in, in the course of doing this research that really was surprising to me, and it said that we've learned more in the area of neuroscience in the past 25 years than we did in the previous totality of time. And I thought that's interesting. I wonder, you know, sometimes knowledge kind of builds on itself and, you know, kind of exponentially grows. Uh, but what neuroscience have figured out, you know, I think is what, you know, Scripture knows, knows to be true as well, that when Scripture speaks of the heart, you know, in the condition of a person's heart, they're not just talking about the organ here that pumps blood. But the heart, you know, has to do with, you know, kind of the, the character and the motives and, you know, the essence of who a person is. Do you know, Scripture would also speak almost, you know, that, that from the belly or from the bowels, you know, might, might be a better interpretation of that. And you know that to be true because when you've been caught in a lie or you find yourself in a deep state of fear or uncertainty, where do you feel it? But down here, we say that my stomach is in knots, you know, that you feel it. You know now that what you might feel here, whether it's the warm, tender, you know, hearts fluttering in the air or, you know, like something else inside of your heart or what you might feel in your belly, we know are actually all taking place up here. 
the center of your emotions and your critical thinking and how you process reality, everything is taking place up here inside of this organ up in your mind. And so when we talk about mental health or emotional health, we are talking about, you know, how your brain is wired to address and process the reality in which you live. So they're called neural pathways or even mental maps, just as you would have a physical map in your mind when you've driven, you know, to Starbucks so many times that you don't even have to think about it anymore. You go out, you go left, you go right, you're there. The same way in your mind, there are the mental maps. And mental maps is, I've gone this way several times that eventually the grass is worn out and it becomes a firm path and it becomes so ingrained, there's almost like a, an etch inside of the ground that I don't have to think about it anymore. I just go to the right, to the left, and I'm there. These mental pathways in, inside of our lives, you know, are really how we, sometimes without even thinking about it, process and navigate life. And so our, our world is built on ideas. And you know there's something about what separates human beings from the rest of, of the animal kingdom and the rest of the world is the capacity for imagination. Imagination means that we can picture something or at least conceive of something that doesn't yet exist. And so cures for diseases or skyscrapers or, you know, big, you know, cylinders of metal that can fly in the air came out of the imagination because we could think about something that did not yet exist. That's one of the wonders of the human mind. But if that could be true in a positive sense, it's also true in the negative sense. Just as we have the capacity to imagine what could be that is not yet there, we do so also individually on a daily basis. And so forever, every new invention that's been conceived, there's 10 or 15 or 20,000 other negative thought patterns. And so I know you've done this, I've done this, where I've had a conversation with somebody of how I think it's going to go before it happened, and I've totally invented the story that never actually took place. I'm going to say this, they're going to say this, then this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and that's going to happen, and that's going to be said. And I've got the whole, you know, conversation programmed in my mind before it ever happens. Now, I may be right or I may be totally off, but the reality is we have the capacity to do that. That we can construct reality in our minds that is not yet reality or may never be reality. And so we believe lies. We fall into illusions. We get trapped into to patterns that are destructive inside of our lives. Dallas Willard, who, who wrote about, you know, spiritual formation, you know, he said that we are, when it comes down to it, we truly live at the mercy of our thoughts. Now, there's a couple of things that go into this that make these metal maps a little bit more, you know, powerful or get amplified some. And the first is, you know, sometimes past wounds. That if you've gone through something, you know, very powerful and impactful, you will carry that into future circumstances and situations. And that pain will, will be a lens by which you view other relationships and other circumstances that come your way. Your family of origin, like how your, the family you grew up with, with process things, Maybe you're a reaction to it, or maybe you're a reflection of it, but it determines how we respond. One author said that there are these childhood mottos. You'll never be good enough. You'll never measure up. Children should be seen and not heard. Uh, 
all these different things, you know, and again, some of them are somewhat benign and some of them are hugely harmful, but these childhood mottos stick with us. And so you find somebody in their 40s who's still trying to gain the approval of their dad who's been dead for 15 years because of the mottos that still continue to exist. And every day they hear that voice, whether it's true or not, speaking loudly inside of their lives. Personality, you know that some of us are naturally more cheerful, some of us are naturally a little bit more cynical. Some of us are more introverted, more extroverted. Some of us see things as they are. Some of us are more likely to get caught up in the rose-colored glasses of things. There are natural parts of how God made us that still cause us sometimes to get into negative mental maps. We're coming through an aspect of, of COVID inside of our world that's disrupted how kids are educated and how we, where we go and, and how we conduct life. But, you know, whether it's 9-11 or whether it's living through a war or the Great Depression or whatever, there are, are always, and again, the severity is different, and I'm not minimizing what we're going through now, but there are always current events and current situations and things inside a culture that will threaten to derail how we think and how we process reality. And then for good or for bad, one author said, show me your friends and I'll show you the direction and the quality of your life. The people you you surround yourself with with will either help you accurately or inaccurately, positively or negatively, assess the world around you. These things impact our mental maps. For the most part, we really have no control over these things. I mean, we could kind of pick our friends or not, but, you know, for the most part, we don't think about these things as being active and powerful inside of our life today. We think that they're just part of the backdrop of our life, but they are actively engaging in how you interact with the world around you today. And so these mental maps, there's a, a chain that's kind of produced. That something happens, and the emotion is not just what I feel, but maybe there's a, a trigger, maybe there's an event, there's, there's something that sparks a reaction in me that produces a thought. That thought could be accurate or inaccurate, true or false. But the the emotion produces a thought. The thought leads to a decision, and sometimes the decision is subconscious. It's autopilot. It's like going left, going right to go to Starbucks. You just, you know, the mental map takes over, and the decision is made. Behaviors begin to happen. Behaviors become habits. Habits produce consequences inside of our lives, and when we live with those consequences, the cycle just keeps going over and over and over Again, so I thought about calling the series, It's All in Your Head, or Getting Your Mind Right, but the rest of the staff, rightly so, thought that was maybe a little bit too negative, but uh, we settled on baggage, which maybe it comes across negative too, but at least it's a little bit more happy and, and lighthearted, you know, this, this idea of what it looks like to live free, travel light, and to find hope. But the reality is, God wants to do a work here inside of our lives. Whether on the severity scale, you're over here or over here. Whether or not, you know, your family of origin or some of those past situations or whether things are are relatively good or you're really struggling, God wants to do a work there. I think sometimes we can get caught up either in the extremeness of what I'm going through on one hand or the fact that whatever I'm going through seems relatively normal compared to most people around me. Well, I believe that there's hope in the extreme situations, and I believe that God wants to still do a transforming work, even if I blend in and my life seems relatively neat and clean 
there's still something that God wants to do to sharpen and refine who I am in him. So Craig, Craig Rochelle says it this way, that the battle for your life is won or lost inside of your mind. And your thoughts will control you or direct you, and so we must learn to control or to direct our thoughts. So the conclusion for today. Relatively simple, but it has to do with the choices that we make. The the thoughts inside of our mind that lead to the, the choices and the behaviors that we engage in. Here's a quote C.S. Lewis actually said. He said, I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all the innumerable choices, all of your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in itself harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God, with other creatures, and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to one state or the other. There is something at stake here beyond just life can get a little bit better. There is something at stake here beyond just how do I survive or even make it through successfully the current season I'm in. But the way in which you navigate the reality of your life now dictates the type of person you're going to be tomorrow. And that person tomorrow is going to encounter a whole different set of circumstances. And so we want to be the kind of people that make the decisions today that are going to help us make the best decisions tomorrow. Because over time, I have to be be honest, I mean, I never thought that I thought that I was busy and stressed and life was hard when I was in college. And now that that seems like a vacation that was four years long that I didn't make the most of the way that I should have. I thought life was busy and hard and challenging when we had young kids. And, you know, from a schedule standpoint, it was. But life continues to throw at you new and, I think, deepening challenges. What's at stake here is the status of your soul and who God is preparing you to be and the things he's preparing you to do involved that we need to take a little bit of courage with the situation I'm in now to say, God, what is it that you're trying to do or show me or where do you want to meet me in the middle of my current circumstances? And so maybe you found this to be relatively simple or too complex, but either way, I'm going to try to boil it down with three very simple statements. And these three, you know, statements are affirmations we make, and they seem relatively obvious. But I think while the statement themselves seem obvious, we tend to live opposite. So the three statements are, I have a choice, I have hope, and I have a next step. We tend to think by saying, you know what, where I am now I didn't ask for this. I can't control this. 
It seems like the ending is outside of my control and I'm just along for the ride. And I have no doubt that maybe some of the situations you're in are that way, but as a whole inside of your life, you have a choice. In fact, you make thousands of them on a daily basis. We know ultimately we have hope, but sometimes we live as if there's no hope in the current situation. It's just destined to produce the outcome that seems to be, you know, just destined to happen. But do you know that even for your circumstances today, there is hope? And I don't know, maybe the status of where you are inside of a relationship now, or a job, or a situation inside of your family, maybe it's not going to end wonderfully well, but I know that inside of your life, the one who has promised to give you a hope and a future, that is not just, just true for your place in eternity, but for your life now. And I believe that there is always a next step. It might not be the fix-it step, the complete-it step, the end-it-all so we never have to talk about it step, but there is a next step. You see, sometimes we think we get paralyzed by the fact that I can't fix it, so I'm just going to sit here and wait because I don't know what to do. You know, I know in life I'm going to be disappointed once in a while, so after all, I'm just going to sit and hope that this season passes. You know what? I'm really just a victim of my circumstances. And we, even as people of faith, make those statements when the reality is this is who our God is screaming out to us about the reality in which we live right now today, that you have a choice, you have hope, and you have a next step. So ask yourself this week, where do I struggle? Maybe it's a momentary struggle. Maybe it's an ongoing struggle. Maybe it's something that is so powerful and palpable that it doesn't even take you two seconds to articulate where it is, but where do you struggle? If we were to really get gut level honest, where do we struggle? And what would it look like for God to meet you there? To remind you that you have a choice, that you have hope, and that there's always a next step. So where we're going to go over the next uh, several weeks, obviously Sunday mornings, we're going to try to come at this, hopefully to be as practical as we can, but also uh, you know, sp- you know, spiritually and principle-centered inside of uh, the Christian life and, you know, kind of hope for where in our variety of different situations uh, steps for moving forward. Next Monday, the 17th, we begin Support Group 101. If you don't, if you have some things that you need to process through and don't know where to start, start there. I can tell you it is not a grief group, it is not an addiction recovery group, it is not a depression group, it is not an anxiety group, but if you're struggling and don't know where to begin, it's a place to begin. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's about a human condition. It's about facing the reality and getting help and starting somewhere. And that's where we, what we want to do there. On Wednesday nights, I'm going to lead a group that's kind of going to, you know, continue some of these conversations and maybe some of the material that I did not get through on a Sunday morning. You know, we'll bring in there and add some supplementary content. In addition to that, if you find that you want to sit with somebody one-on-one as a staff, we would love to make time to do that. We are not trained professional counselors. We will not engage in ongoing therapy. But again, it's kind of like a place to start to begin to address some of the things that we've been putting off or putting aside or trying to pretend don't exist. Sometimes you just need to sit and talk with somebody. I'm praying over these next weeks that God would meet us to do a transforming touch, to meet us in the middle of pain, to give us victory in the middle of struggle, 
and to maybe get rid of some things that we've been carrying around for far too long. Let's pray together. God, even as we close this morning, Lord, we're open to how it is that you want to move. Lord, that if you're the God who created the world and you're the God who brings salvation and you live inside of our hearts, Lord, you can also be the one that comes to make a difference inside of our day-by-day, moment-by-moment struggles. And so we don't simply want to minimize it by saying that if we just sing a song and offer a prayer that everything's going to be great. But we also know that you can meet us and you can do far more inside of a moment than we can do inside of a lifetime. So even as we close this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit to come and to bring clarity, to give us courage, to to meet us inside of these moments together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.